Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of God. Morning again, New Hope. It's really great to see all of you. Um, thank you, Sam, for reading, and thank you, John and Jenny, for leading us in, in singing. You know, as we were singing those songs, especially today, given that we're going to be talking about um, warfare again, I was, I was just, especially coming in here today, feeling um, beat up a little bit and feeling weary and, um, and, and a little worn from battle in some ways. I was reminded that these songs that we're singing are fighting songs, that, that they are battle songs. Even, even the slow, so even when we're singing, I need you, Jesus, it doesn't sound like a battle song. You know, it's slow and it's quiet and we're just, we're, we, we seem to be calling out from a place of weakness, I need you, Jesus. And yet even that is a, is, it's a fighting song because we can sing it in confidence, even in all our weakness as we say, Jesus, I need you, we're singing it as his church, that is as people who have the very thing we need. We have the very one we need. We say, I need you, Jesus. And Jesus says, you have me, and I have you. I'm yours, and you were mine. And those other songs, too, just beautiful. Thank you so much. There was um, a real encouragement uh, to me. I hope it was to you, too, as we're singing those songs together. Um, Before we jump into God's word, just a couple of things I want to share with you. We are called as a church to engage in mission. That is, we're called to be the ambassadors of Christ who proclaim and share the good news of Christ, the gospel, to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That is, right where we live, in our, in our neighborhood, and where we work and play, and then also out into the rest of the world as well. That's the mission God's given us. And over the next couple of weeks, and even right now, really, we're in a season where we get to focus on that aspect of our mission, the, the, the far away, the utter, you know, uttermost ends of the world part of the mission. Um, because, as you know, we have a team of short-term missionaries who are in Namibia right now. They're going to be coming back soon. They're coming back this coming week, picking up a bunch of them on Tuesday. And um, we have the opportunity to pray for them as they engage in God's mission in Namibia right now. Um, hopefully you've been seeing their updates. If you haven't, you can check out their updates on our blog, and you can link to our blog. You can get to our blog by going to our website. And if you haven't visited our website for a while, 
newhopefellowship.org. I encourage you to go and visit it and, and check out how beautiful it looks. It looks really great. Tom Yoon um, re revived this website and, and recreated it. It's a, it's a regenerated website, and it, it looks great. Thank you, Tom, for doing that. Um, so check it out. Check out the blog so that you can see updates from the Namibia team on what's going on day to day. Okay, and pray for them as they engage in battle. Um, also, next week, um, Bum Jung, who's a, who's a missionary who some of you may know. I have yet to meet him, but he's a missionary that New Hope Fellowship supports. Um, who works in Indonesia amongst a primarily Muslim population. He's going to be visiting us next week. He's going to be sharing a report with us, and he's also going to be preaching God's word to us from Mark 4. All right. Two weeks later, on September 11th, Todd Blackhurst is going to be here, and he's going to be sharing a report with us, and he's going to be preaching God's word to us. Todd Blackhurst is a missionary in Taiwan, and our very own dearly beloved Brian Lee serves alongside Todd in Taiwan right now. So Todd's going to be telling us about Brian, but he's also going to be telling us about the greater work that they're doing there. So come ready to, to, to hear and to encourage those guys and their families as, they, um, as they, they rest for a while here before heading back to the mission field. All right. With that, I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Lord, we thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you that as we sing as a church and as we, we call upon ourselves to rise, as we call upon ourselves to bless your name, we can do that so with full confidence that you go before us, that you are our warrior king. That in Christ we are in fact victorious over the very kinds of battles that we're going to be talking about today. And yet, Lord, you've called us not to be passive. You've called us to engage in the work of fighting sin, of fighting against spiritual forces, against fighting against the flesh and the world. You've called us to do that. And so help us to know how to do that today. Help us also to have the confidence in you to engage in that battle, not from a place of fear, but a place of settled confidence, love, security that's anchored in you and in what you've done for us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've been for a while, I, I think you'd agree with me when I say that discipleship is hard. What I mean is that following Jesus as his disciple is not easy. It's no walk in the park. There, there, is, there are those seasons that are, that are peaceful, and they're quiet, and we feel like God has really brought us into, uh, uh, beside the still waters, he's brought us into um, wide green pastures, and we're just resting, and it's wonderful. But then there are also seasons, extended seasons, where we are consciously at war, we're fighting sin, we're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're coming to the end of Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, and the very end of this letter to the Ephesians, and one of the things that Paul is doing here, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, is awakening us to the reality that whether you feel like you're at war or not, you are at war. Which means that even in those seasons of life where you feel like you're very much at peace, things are going beautifully well, there's actually a war going on behind the scenes that he wants to awaken us to and make us aware of. That's why being a it's one of the reasons that being a disciple of Jesus is hard, because we're engaged in spiritual warfare, there are unseen spiritual beings. Paul in Ephesians 6 calls them cosmic powers. He calls them spiritual forces. And they want to see you fall. Paul talks in, in this passage that Sam just read to us about the devil. 
about demons. And this, this might still sound weird to us. Over the past couple of weeks, I've tried to make a case for the fact that devil and demons are, are, are real. They exist. That Jesus believed in them and, and engaged them in battle. And that the writers of the Bible, all of them, believed in them as well. Now, now the fact is that t- talking about devils and demons, it doesn't just sound weird to us as 21st century American people. It would have sounded strange in some way to the Ephesians, too. No, no, here's what I mean. To the Ephesians, to whom Paul was originally reading, they, writing, they were a largely superstitious people. They believed in spirits and in evil forces. But what would have been hard for them to believe is that the God of the Bible is, able to, is more powerful than all those spirits, cosmic powers, devils, demons, etc. What would have been hard for them to believe is that there is a God who overpowers all of that, who supersedes all of that. A God who created all of the physical and spiritual realities that we deal with. For us, as 21st century Americans, maybe the tough part for us is believing that these spiritual realities are, in fact, realities. It's hard for us to believe that the devil is real. Well, if you still struggle with that, I'd like to invite you to go back, listen to the to what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. Listen to those messages, and hopefully they'll, they'll bring some clarity to you and help you along the way in that regard. But here's what I want us to look at today. We need to be awake to the reality that we are at war. The fight isn't just... And, and here's the thing. This fight that Paul is talking about isn't just a fight against spiritual beings. The Bible talks about the fact that we have enemies... The devil's our enemy, yes, but he's not our only enemy. We have the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil opposed to us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Here's what I mean. If you take some of the instructions that Paul has given us in this, in this letter, like the instruction to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the moment you and I read that and we say, okay, I'm supposed to be living a life in which I'm not always fighting to get my way. I'm not always fighting to establish and protect my rights. I'm actually supposed to be submitting myself to others. As soon as you start to try to walk that out, you're going to hear the world telling you, our culture is going to tell you, that's ridiculous. That's no way to live. You're supposed to be asserting your rights, asserting your power, not submitting to other people. And then your flesh comes along and it tells you the same thing. Your flesh says, are you crazy? It doesn't feel good to submit to people, does it? Just inwardly, it, you, you feel a resistance against it. Because your flesh doesn't want to submit. And the devil comes and he echoes those same sentiments. He leverages what the world is telling you and what your flesh is telling you. Think about the instruction that Paul gives us to pursue sexual purity and to, and to flee from sexual immorality. Our culture tells us that's ridiculous, that's arcane, that's stupid. Why do that? Your flesh tells you, your body tells you, it's very difficult to fight lust. It's very difficult to flee from sexual immorality. And the devil comes and says, stop fighting. Why are you fighting? Think about the, uh, the instruction that Paul gives us to forgive one another out of love. Our culture tells us, no, 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 don't, don't forgive. At least some elements in our culture tell us, no, don't forgive. Our own hearts sometimes tell us, no, don't forgive. The devil comes and says the same thing. So we're really at war with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Ephesians 2 actually bears this out. 
If you look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, this is a, a verse that we looked at months ago. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Hear what the Apostle Paul says. He says, and you, he's talking to people who are, he's talking to Christians before they became Christians, before they knew Jesus. And he's saying to them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Here's what your life looked like before you became a believer in Jesus Christ, Christian. He says, you were following the course of this world. There's the world. You're following the course of this world. He also says, you are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's the devil. So you are following the way of this world. You are also following the devil. And then in verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So you are following the flesh as well. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These three things that now, because you have believed the gospel, you now have the resources to do battle against. And we're going to look at how that happens today. Paul says in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So how do we do that? How are we going to be strong in the Lord? How are we going to be strong in the strength of his might? Last week we saw that Satan has very specific tactics that he carries out against us. And, the, and these tactics, they're not just Satan's tactics. It's the same way the world works. It's the same way our own flesh works against us. With lies. Lies that, that tempt us and lies that accuse us. Temptation, accusation. We looked at that last week. And we saw that these, these lies often are aimed right at Places like our relationships. They're aimed at our identity, our sense of who we are and where our value comes from. And these lies are aimed at God. They strike right at foundational truths about who God is. How do we do battle? I want us to see three things in this passage today about how we're going to stand strong in the might of the Lord and how we're going to do battle. One, we got to put on armor. Two, we have to pray. Three, we have to stay alert. Super simple, right? We need to put on armor. We need to pray. We need to stay alert. That's what Paul tells us. Let's look at putting on armor. Look at verses 13 through 17. This is where the Apostle Paul lists this battle gear. He says it's the Lord's armor. It's not some kind of magic. These aren't just things that we read and, and we... we put some kind of superstitious hope in. As we're going to see, these these pieces of armor are all rooted in who God is and what God has done for us by grace in the gospel. You know, it's been said before, it's been pointed out that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he was in prison. And so he was Right next to, most of the time, he would have, or all the time, he would have been right next to, perhaps even chained to, a Roman soldier. And some have said, well, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's looking at the Roman soldier that he's handcuffed to, shackled to, and he's using the Roman soldier's getup as inspiration to write this passage. And there's some truth in that, but the, the fact is that a Roman soldier that would have been keeping guard over a guy like Paul wouldn't have been holding a big, you know, four-foot shield and a helmet and a breastplate. He probably would have been dressed down a bit if he's just taking care of an old Jewish apostle. Paul does get some inspiration from Roman armor. There's no doubt. 
But really, his inspiration comes from somewhere else. It comes from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah, places like Isaiah 11, Isaiah 59, Isaiah 52, God there is speaking about himself as a warrior king who's coming to rescue his people and defeat evil. And he talks about himself as wearing this very armor, this breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. This is what God wears. This is what Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, wears as he comes to rescue his people. That's where this imagery comes from. This means, this means that as we read about this armor, we can rely on this armor because Jesus has used this armor himself. Our Lord Jesus himself has proved it to be battle-worthy, trustworthy for us. And notice something else before we even get into this list, that all these pieces that the Apostle Paul is mentioning, they're all interrelated. Sometimes when we go through a list of this armor, it's very easy to get caught up in the details of each one and see them as somehow very distinct from one another and kind of draw details that maybe are even artificial. We're meant to see this all together. Paul, after all, says, put on the whole armor. It all matters. And there's lots of overlap between how these different pieces of armor operate. We're going to take each one and look at them quickly. Look at verse 14. It says, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. The belt of truth. This, this belt, this is foundational. In fact, I'd say that this is probably the, the, the basic, most foundational of all the pieces of armor listed here. It's something that would have gone, for a Roman soldier, it would have gone beneath the breastplate and beneath the other armor. It goes underneath, almost like some kind of armored underwear, and it, it would protect the vital organs. It would have to be tight. It would have to be strong. Everything else, that, and, it, and, and here it signifies truth. And we're going to see that really everything else that Paul talks about in it has to do with truth as well. What kind of truth is Paul talking about here? If we read, or, here's, here's, here's one way to look at this that I think will be helpful to you. As you read about the belt of truth, and you say, what truth is Paul talking about? I'd say, go back to Ephesians 1, start reading. And when you go back to Ephesians 1, you start reading about who God is in his might and his holiness and his power and glory. As you start reading about the riches of grace that he has lavished on us as his people. As you start to read about the power that he has exhibited for our sake, as you read about the fact that if you are in Christ and you were predestined from eternity to be the adopted sons of God, that's the truth that, God, that Paul's talking about. It's a full-orbed truth of all that who God is and all that he has done. And he says that serves as a kind of belt. If you embrace that truth, if you believe it and live in the light of it, it's going to protect you What we believe and accept as truth matters, doesn't it? How you view the world, how you view yourself, and how you view everyone else matters. And, and, and here's what Paul is saying. The way that you view yourself and the way you view God and the way you view the world needs to be through the lens of what God tells you is true. Ultimately, not through the lens of your experiences, not, certainly not through the lens of the lies that the culture and your flesh and the world tell you. You need to look at the world through the lens of God's truth. For the Ephesians, they needed to hear this because they're living in a culture where 
demons and spirits, false, you know, gods, were, were just a part of the, the air that they breathed. The average Ephesian person who's a non-Christian would worship many gods, would engage in maybe even sacrifices to those gods. They'd have to learn intricate ways to protect themselves from these gods and, and, and find ways through magic and potions and weird things like that to be able to leverage the power of these gods for their good. It was a very kind of superstitious, superstitious occultic culture. Here's the truth they needed to hear, and I think it's a truth we need to hear. Ephesians 1.11 says that this God of the Bible, the true God, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a God unlike any of the other ancient Greco-Roman gods. He works out all things according to the counsel of his will. His will always wins. He's able to bring everything about that he desires to. His desires never get frustrated. Satan's desires will be frustrated ultimately, but not God's. The belt of truth. Jesus Christ comes to us and says, look, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father through me. Let's look at the other different kinds of truths that we need to take on as armor. Look at verse 14. It says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So after you've got this, this belt of truth, and that belt's got to be on tight, you know? You've got to hold on to that truth. But, you know, I, when, I was, um, when I was growing up as a young teenage boy in the late 80s, early 90s, um, I used to like to wear my pants very loose. I'd buy very big pants, and, um, and I'd wear them very loose, and they would sag, like, down to here. And um, I wasn't alone in this, right? Maybe some of you can relate. And um, it was very comfortable. It was fine. But that kind of dress and having a belt that was like out to here didn't really serve me well in moments where <laughs> aggressive action needed to be taken, you know? So for instance, if I, if I need to catch a bus or if I need to run to class to get there on time, my pants are falling down, I'd have to do what we... I, this is, if you grew up in the late 80s and early 90s and you like to dress this way, then you're, you're familiar with the, the one-handed belt grab. The one-handed belt grab is where you grab your belt, you pull it up, and now you're able to run. You can run easily. You can hold your books. You can just run. You can wave down the bus. You just hold it up, but then you let it go. It drops. So in my high school, for instance, when I'd see, you know, there'd be fights sometimes. And when kids get into fights, uh, there, it would only be seconds before they're both rolled around the ground. Their pants are, like, around their ankles because they wore their pants so loose. It's not very appropriate for fighting. Paul is saying, keep it tight. Keep the truth tightly bound around you. That's the only way. It's not enough for us to just kind of have this truth kind of floating around in the back of our heads about who God is, what the gospel is, what he's done. We can't just have some kind of loose attachment to that. We need to be tightly bound by it, grasping onto it. But as I was saying before, verse 14 says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate here equals righteousness. You are, if you are a believer, know this truth. You are righteous in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then God the Father looks at you as righteous in Jesus. This is so important for us, especially when we face the lies of the devil or the world or our flesh that condemn us. Lies that come to us and say, you messed up way, too, you went way too far. 
there's no way God can still accept you. There's no way that God will continue to love you in light of what you just did. We need to hold on to this truth, this breastplate that protects us. It, look, notice, it's not, our, it's, let me just read this from Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. In Romans 8, it says, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us of who we are that we don't stand before God. We don't need to stand before God trying to, to rack up enough good deeds so that we can prove to God, look, I'm worthy of your love. I've earned it. I've done well enough, haven't I? No, we stand in Jesus. He was the obedient one. He was the one who perfectly honored the Father, and he was the one who died in our place so that we can now be justified, considered righteous. And also, this breastplate of righteousness, there's even another side to this, too. Another side to it. I think this breastplate of righteousness guards us against the, the, the sin of just complacency, too. Because we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are called to actively, yes, our safety is in the fact that God has made us righteous in Christ. There's no doubt. And yet, as a response to that, God calls us to live a life of righteousness. To seek to obey him. To live obediently and in a holy way. So when, when the, the temptation to sexual sin comes, or when the temptation to anger, dishonesty, or betrayal comes, we need to hold on to this truth. The same God who made me righteous in Jesus also calls me to walk righteously. I'm called to walk in true righteousness and holiness. Look at verse 15. Next bit of armor. He says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. These shoes that he's talking about really aren't shoes. They're more like boot sandals. Guys don't really wear them anymore. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, maybe guys, maybe some guys do. If you wear boot sandals, I'm not going to judge you, but many women perhaps will wear them. They're kind, of like, they're, they're kind of like sandals, but they strap up all the way up to here, to your knee. They, they, they provided stability, but also flexibility. Think gladiator. And again, all these pieces of armor kind of overlap. But here's, I think, what Paul is pointing out here. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to make you and me righteous in Jesus Christ. It's the good news that he has sent his son to die in our place so that through faith in him, we could be made righteous. We could be forgiven of our sins. And that gospel makes you ready to fight. In fact, if it wasn't for this gospel, there'd be no fight. We'd be done. But because of the gospel, now we can be at war with evil, but at peace with God. We were at one time at war with God, and we had made peace with evil, but that has flipped. Now we war against the devil and his works, and we have peace with God. And, and there's, a, there's an offensive element here to this, this idea of gospel shoes. We're fighting not just to protect ourselves in this battle. We're fighting to rescue others in this battle. We're fighting to save others. Think about your kids. Think about your neighbors. Think about your, the loved ones in your life 
who don't know this gospel and don't love Jesus. Paul is coming to us and saying, putting on this armor is not just about your protection, it's about equipping you to save others. We, we sang this before in that, that, that beautiful song, the last one we sang. The gospel calls us to love the captive soul, but rage against the captor. I was going to sing it, but I chickened out. To love the captive soul, the one who's under bondage by Satan, to love that person and rescue them from the bondage that Satan has them under. By raging against the one who has abducted and, and deceived them. It's, this is biblical language, by the way. It's in 2 Timothy 2. God calls us to pray and to engage in gospel work, engage in evangelism. Why? Why? So that, he says in, two, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24, so that, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and, listen, escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is an offensive fight too, guys. Look at verse 16. Paul says, In all circumstances, take up, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We talked about these darts last week. Um, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, soldiers would take arrows, they would dip them in pitch or some other kind of sticky, um, a flammable Substance would light them on fire and would shoot them, and they would rain down from the sky, and they were aimed at taking out opposing soldiers. The shield of faith was a very big shield. It was about four feet tall. People were shorter back then, so four feet was about all they needed to cover their bodies. And these big shields were made of wood, and they were covered with animal skin. But often what they would do is the animal skin, they would, they would dunk it in water and drench it and put it over the shield fastened to the shield. And so the shield ended up being very heavy, but it also became very strong. The fiery darts, the arrows would hit that shield and would get extinguished. They'd get stuck in the wood and they'd get extinguished. And so a soldier at the end of a battle, if he made it out alive, would be walking around with the shield covered in these arrows. So as the devil shoots at you, as the flesh and the world shoot at you, God says, faith. Faith matters. But it's not just faith in anything. It's not just generic faith. Sometimes the world tells us this. The world, and maybe even your flesh tells you, yeah, faith is good. Faith is strong. I mean, it, it's important. You need to believe in something. What God says, it's not just the strength of your faith that matters. Really what matters is the object of your faith. What is your faith in? And that's why we need to go back to the other pieces of armor. You see, the faith that Paul is talking about here is faith in the truth. It's faith in the righteousness that God has given us. It's faith in the gospel. So again, when those lies, condemning lies come at us, to tell you you're not good enough, you haven't performed well enough for God. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's when pride starts to rise up and we start to think, I deserve better than this, God. I deserve better than what I have in this life. I'm better than so-and-so. Or maybe it's when shame starts to set in, shame over past sins that you long confessed and a and, and, and long time ago God forgave you of them. Whether it's, it's you, you, 
who knows whether it's some kind of sexual immorality, whether you, you deceived and betrayed your, your spouse in the past, it was, it was infidelity, or maybe it was an abortion. God comes and says, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, then know this, know this. Any condemnation, any shame that's coming your way is not from me. It's not from him. You have the shield of faith. Faith in the gospel that tells you, yes, you are a sinner, a terrible sinner, but God is a great savior. And it's also faith that tells us, I need to go and confess my sins to this God and know that he will forgive me. He is, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I can go back to him. That's what faith tells me. Verse 17 It says, take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. Again, lots of overlap, right? We've already talked about salvation, haven't we? Kind of. Ephesians 2, chapter 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You have been saved by grace. Not because of anything you have done, but by the grace of God, who has out of love and mercy gifted you with salvation. Salvation from what? What have you been saved from? You've been saved from God's own wrath. You've been saved from this devil that has it out for you. You've been saved from the world. You've even been saved from the power of your own flesh. You see, God says, you, I have saved you. I am even now presently saving you, rescuing you. And I will one day finally rescue you and save you, ultimately. When God's judgment comes, and it will come, he promises that, anyone who has put their faith in Christ will finally realize the culmination of what it means to be saved. When wrath comes, and God says, no, not you, you will not taste punishment. All you will receive is joy and acceptance. And the righteousness that you've wanted for so long. Verse 17 says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the sword equals the word. It's similar to what he said earlier about truth, right? But I think that if we think of truth as just everything that's true about God and about what he's done, then we think about the sword as the actual scriptures, the words that God has spoken to us here. And it functions as a kind of sword. And many commentators have pointed this out over the years, maybe you've heard this in the past, that the sword that the Apostle Paul is talking about, the word he uses is very specific. It's a short sword. It's not a very long one. It's not like the Conan the Barbarian sword. It's more like the Frodo sword, you know, a little small. Up close and personal. Hand-to-hand combat. But it's a sword we can trust. It may not even look all that potent. I mean, that small sword, if you ever watch Lord of the Rings... You see Frodo, he's fighting against these huge monsters. You think, what? that's like a little dagger. What's he going to do with that, right? Sometimes I think we can feel like that about the word of God. Really? Is this really going to help me? Listen to what God says about his word. He says, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. It will stand forever. That means that a long time after, all the lies have stopped flying, 
Satan's no longer attacking you. He's not lying to you, tempting you, accusing you anymore. Your flesh no longer is tempting you and accusing you. Nor is the world. That's all, all those lies have passed away. God's truth is still going to hold true. It's still going to be firm and trustworthy into eternity. So, because we have it, we're called not just to memorize it, although we need to do that. Doing this kind of battle depends on us knowing what God says about himself. The truth of who God is is going to be of very little use to us if we do not know what he says about himself and know what he says about us, right? But I think it requires more than just reading a memoir. I think it requires meditating, steeping ourselves in this truth so that we can recognize his voice, so that we can recognize the difference between what he tells us and what the enemy tells us. Absorbing this truth, steeping our hearts in it, so that it's familiar and close. God has spoken to us in his word. And I think that we would do well to remember that every time we read the Bible, it's true that we're engaging in spiritual battle. Maybe you feel that. You sit down to read God's word and you feel like there is spiritual battle. There's distractions. There's thoughts that come into your head. You're like, where in the world did that even come from? Or maybe there's just competing fleshly desires. You're like, I'm really too tired. I don't really, you know, I'd rather be doing something else. So there's spiritual battle at play. But think about it this way. Every time you read God's word, you're also equipping yourself for spiritual battle. You're doing battle, but you're getting ready for greater battles. The fact is that all of these, as we look at all of these pieces of armor and putting them on, I want us to think about it this way. Here he's using the metaphor of armor, but earlier in this same letter, the Apostle Paul talked about putting on the new self, putting on Christ. That's really what we're doing when we put on this armor. We're putting on Christ. We're putting on the new self. He is our righteousness. He is our salvation. He is the word of God made flesh. He is truth. He is the very embodiment of the gospel. And so as we hang on to all these truths and we meditate on them, and as we look at them in the moment, we're gonna, we pray over them and call them to mind. As we do that, really we're just going back to Jesus and we're saying again and again, Jesus, I need you. When I say I need this armor, I'm really saying I need you. Let's look at prayer. We'll do this quickly. One of the ways that we put on this armor and wear it, Paul says, is by praying. It's not just in addition to putting on the armor. It's the very way that we put on this armor is by praying. Communing with God. Verse 18 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This means God is, Here's what God's calling us to. To pray guided by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, dependent on the Spirit. And he's calling us to all prayer, different kinds of prayer. How do you engage in prayer given the reality of spiritual battle? I think one thing obviously we need to do is go to God and ask for strength, right? We pray for strength. We ask him, Lord, protect me. We've got to do that. There's no doubt. But I think it goes further than that. The all prayer that Paul is talking about means prayer of confession, too. It means going to God and confessing, verbally telling him the ways in which we've sinned against him. He knows already, but he calls us to confess. 
Think about it. As you do that, you are equipping yourself for battle. You are engaging in spiritual battle when you tell the Lord, this is what I have done. These are the lies I have believed. The accuser wants us to keep our sins in the dark. That's where, they, that's where they're nurtured. That's where they grow. God calls us to bring those sins into the light. Confess them. Prayer of confession. Prayer of repentance, too. Saying, Lord, I commit by your grace. My desire, the desire of my heart is to put this behind me. I want to be done with this kind of sin. I want to turn away from it. And by your grace, I believe I can do that. I, I forsake it, Lord. Prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of praise. It's praising God for who he is and what he's done that, that's listed for us beautifully in the opening chapters of Ephesians. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Thanking him for the protection he's given you. It's very simple, really. In fact, um, you're all familiar with the Lord's Prayer? In Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, we have what the church is often called the Lord's Prayer. In Luke 11, the disciples go to Jesus and they say to him, teach us to pray. And he teaches them to pray. And maybe that's a prayer that many of us memorized. If you grew up in the church, you may have memorized it. I want you to think about that prayer as a wartime prayer. It's actually battle prayer. Luke 11 says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy, Lord. We're coming to God and we're saying, look, many different voices, are, names are clamoring for my attention. Many different names claim to be holy and important and powerful. But I'm calling you holy. Help me, Lord, to see you as holy, to see you as powerful and you as supreme, not all these other voices. Your kingdom come, we pray in the Lord's Prayer. We're saying, look, I'm tempted. Day to day, I'm tempted to seek my own kingdom. I'm trying to build my own thing. And we're coming to God and saying, no, I repent of that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, not mine. The enemy tells me, my flesh tells me, the culture tells me that I should get my way. I'm coming to God and saying, no, your will be done, Lord. Give us each day our daily bread. The enemy tells us to be anxious about tomorrow. Fearful. God's not going to give me what I need. God's not going to produce. The money's not coming in. My kid's not doing well. We come in the Lord's Prayer and we say, this simple prayer. Give us our daily bread. Give us what we need. That's engaging in battle. Forgive us our sins, we say in the Lord's Prayer. The lies that come on us daily tell us either one of two things. They either say, you cannot be forgiven. You've been too awful. Or the lies come and say, who needs forgiveness? You don't need forgiveness. You're fine. We come to God in the Lord's Prayer and we say, no, I need forgiveness. Please forgive me, even as I forgive others. Even though the world tells me I shouldn't be forgiving anyone, I should be holding a grudge, and I should be getting it over on them, we come to the Lord's Prayer and we say, no, we do battle with that. We say, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Those are battle words. We're coming to God and we're saying, look, if I'm going to be victorious, it's only because you are my strength. I need you to deliver me from the temptations that I'm finding day to day. I need you to speak into my life in the midst of the accusations I'm facing. 
I look to you for strength. Look to the Lord's Prayer. And, and even, not even that, if you go back to the Psalms, I trust that if you read through the Psalms, you'll find that those are, those are battle Psalms, many of them. The, the, the psalmist, throughout those poems, finds himself surrounded by enemies so many times. Sometimes the enemies are people who are chasing him down to kill him. Sometimes he says, the enemy is me. <laughs> I'm the one. But again and again in those psalms, he cries out to his warrior king, to his warrior God, and asks for protection. And he finds it. There's a, there's a community aspect to all this, too. How do we engage in this battle? It is through prayer. We put on the armor through prayer. But it's not just me praying in my prayer closet, as the Bible says. And it's not just you. It's us praying. It's us praying together and praying for each other. The Apostle Paul makes that clear. He tells, he tells the church in Ephesus, and he tells us, verse 18, the end of verse 18, make supplication for all the saints. We're all at war. The song that we sang that, that, that John and Jenny led us in before highlights this, that we are a church engaged. He says, pray for the saints and for me that words may be given to me in opening the mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I'm in chains now. I ask you to fight alongside me. The temptations that Paul was facing as a prisoner in Rome were different from the temptations that the rest of the church were facing. And yet he says, let's pray for each other. It's a community effort. And then lastly... Lastly, the Apostle Paul tells us it's not just put on the armor, it's not just pray, it's stay alert. I was going to name this point stay woke, but I went with stay alert, a little more proper. Verse 13, or verse 18 says, to that end, keep alert, it's the end of verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. This echoes the words of Jesus himself, who told his disciples, watch and pray. Stay awake and talk to God and ask for help. They go together, prayer and alertness. You know, it's funny, verse 13 of, of Ephesians 6, it says, take up the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Look closely at that sentence. Take up the armor of God now, now, that's present, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day the future. So you take on the armor now, get alert now, so that when the trouble comes, you can actually stand. It makes no sense to wait for the fight to come and then look for your armor. I know someone who, who bought a, uh, a handgun some, some years ago to protect his household. I'm not a fan of guns. If you're a gun owner, a licensed gun owner, I, I don't judge you for that at all. Um, but I personally, I'm uncomfortable with the whole thing of guns. I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily want to have one in my house. But in any case, this, this person was telling me how he bought a gun because he wanted to protect his household. I said, okay, I, I get that. I understand that. I said, but where do you keep this gun? He says, I keep it in a, in a safe. He keeps it empty in a safe behind a lock, and then he keeps the ammunition in another box somewhere else hidden in the house. And those are kind of standard gun practices. That's safety practices, which makes sense but at the same time, I'm thinking, like, if someone comes into your house, an intruder comes in the house, what, what good is that, you know? I, I'm no good under pressure. If I get in there and try to start fiddling with a, a combination lock to open a, 
by the time I get that thing open and get some bullets in it, my home's going to be ransacked. I'm going to be fumbling all over the place. Seems to me, I watch, I grew up watching the old gangster movies and the old gangster movies. They sleep with the gun under their pillow. Now, I know that's not very safe. I'm not suggesting that as standard gun practice at all. I'm just saying that they kept it at hand because they were paranoid and they were scared. God tells us, keep this armor on, not out of paranoia or fear, but keep it on out of a mere sense of obedience to me. I'm telling you that there's a war going on. Keep the armor on all the time, even when you think things are going well. What happens when things are going well in our lives? How important does truth seem to you then? How important does God's word seem to you then? How important does prayer seem to you when things are just floating beautifully? But man, you find out they're starting to lay people off, or your kid gets sick, or you get sick, and I'm not belittling any of those things. When trials come into our life, what happens? We immediately start scrambling. We're like the dude trying to open up the safe in his, in his closet, trying to get that gun out and get the bullets in. We go to the Word. We start praying. We start fasting. We start asking other people to pray. We're scrambling, and so we should be. But God is saying, be prepared before the evil day comes. Meditate on his truth and pray over that truth. There's a story in Luke chapter 4. It tells us that Jesus Christ was, he was being tempted by the devil. And after he resisted, resisted amazingly powerfully the devil left him alone but Luke tells us he left him for a more opportune time he'd be back and so for us I think we need to ask the question what are the opportune times in our lives when are the times when we are more most susceptible to fall to the schemes of the world the flesh and the devil it's in those very opportune times when we're tired or we're angry or we're busy, or we're distracted. It's those very times that God is saying, no, have this, have this armor on. Make sure that you're steeping yourself in the word of God, in prayer, in communal prayer together, remembering truth about who he is and what he's done for you, so that when the evil day comes, you'll be ready. You and I are not alert. You are not alert when you're opening yourself up to what is evil. Whether it's lust, it's porn, it's pride, whether you're harboring secret sins that you don't want to confess and you don't want to bring out into the light, you're just kind of keeping them to yourself, that's the opposite of alertness. God says, look, remain alert to Satan's activity, but also remain alert, more importantly, remain alert to who I am. Alert to God the eyes of our souls enlightened to know and to see who he is. Our community, our church, we need each other to be alert in the battle. We need each other to be praying in the battle. Because when one of us falls, it's the job of the others to come and rescue and help and minister, and we will not be in a place to do that if we are not alert and armored and in prayer. And the fact is that the fall of one affects the whole church. We're a living organism, you know? You may not know this, but the, the, what's going on in your life actually has an effect on the larger community. 
It really does. God views us as a body. Now, I've seen many, many instances where I've seen pastors in particular, so I'd ask for your prayer for me, definitely, and for the other elders, because I've seen many cases where pastors themselves have fallen into sin, and as a result, the whole church has been damaged, and in some cases, even destroyed. But it doesn't have to be the pastor. It doesn't have to be me. It could be any one of us. The attacks of Satan on one member of the body affects the whole body. We can't just pretend the battle's not real. That's no strategy at all. Just act like, oh, everything's fine. No. No. Instead, what we need to do is engage, put on the armor, pray, and stand alert. And as we do that, as we do that, we have full confidence that our God, our warrior king, will grant us victory. In fact, victory has already been won in one sense. Satan has already been defeated. All we're waiting for is for him to be destroyed. And that day is coming. That day is coming. I want to invite you to pray with me. Father, we pray that you would help us to see what it looks like to live in the constant light of all that is true about you. Help us in very practical ways to make use of the means of grace that you've given us. The word, prayer, and fellowship, meditation over your word. To use all these things as ways for us to get a hold of this armor and put it on. Lord Jesus, ultimately we look to you. You are the truth. You are our righteousness. You are our salvation. Our hope is fully in you. And we trust that in you, we will stand. And I pray for anyone here who has yet to come to know you and trust you, would you, would you save them? Would you rescue them and place upon their heads this helmet that you have given many of us? Salvation. We ask it in your name. Amen.